All right, kids, uh, normally we have you come up to be dismissed, but we're going to just dismiss you straight back to your classes today. So if you want to stand up and go back to the turf to your classes, now is the time. All right, so our first uh, gospel reminder this morning that uh, we want to focus on is this idea and principle of our identity in creation. And... Today we're going to have three, uh, as I mentioned, three different reminders from the gospel. And the full gospel, which is the story from beginning to end, uh, many, can, many categorize it uh, in three different ways. You have creation, you have the fall of man, and then you have Christ, right? And that is the story of redemption from start to finish in scripture. And today we're going to look at, at uh, one point, at least, in each of those three categories, Our identity in creation, our identity in Adam, and then our identity in Christ. So first, our identity in creation. You know, I think it's pretty common uh, among our Christian culture to utilize the words created in his image or image bearer. And I think particularly over the history of our church, it has been essential to who, who we are. It's who we view, it's how we view people, it's how we view our community, It's how we view um, everybody. They are image bearers of Christ. And we've said that frequently from this platform over uh, the 10 plus years that we've been in existence. But I was really challenged uh, myself several years ago. Do I actually know what that means? Like we say it, but do we actually know what it means? And today I, I really want us to think through what it means to have our identity in creation. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28 reads... Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So first of all, I want us to see that our image is not our physical bodies. Jesus took the form of a man. He wasn't already in that form when he came uh, to earth. Philippians 2.27 reads that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Scripture doesn't say that Christ came in his own form. He wasn't already in this same shape that our physical bodies are in. Right? He came into the form of man. And it's clear that the form of man and the form of God are different. You know, we know that God is a spirit, and we use John 4.24 often. God is a spirit And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This body is not necessary to be an image bearer, right? And that that probably is a good thing, right? This is not the image of God. God is a spirit, and he humbled himself to take this lowly form that you and I each have. Our bodies are merely the temple that house the image of God. And that's the second part of this that God's image is our sharing of his spirit or of his attributes. Ephesians 4.24 says, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Colossians 3.10 reminds us that and challenges us to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Well, none of his attributes are perfect in our humanity. Um, You know, we love, but we don't love perfectly. Uh, Man displays those attributes all around us. Even the lost have this image of Christ, or image of God on them. And we see that love, we see justice, we see grace, we see mercy all around us if we're looking for it, even among the, the lost. And the image even continued, we know that, because the image continued past sin. God talks about the image post-fall, that man still had this image of God. Uh, Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And James 3, 8 through 9 says, But no human being can tame the tongue, and is a restless, restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. But the image is certainly absolutely dimmed and darkened and tainted by sin. But we can still find this image all around us and uh, be overwhelmed by it. It's something that we should observe and praise God for on a daily basis, even when we see it in the lost, because it is his image that he created them in. Um, when you think of the love that we can see around us, uh, perhaps you have coworkers who just have an immense love for, the, for their child. That is, that is the image of God being displayed even in a lost person. Uh, when we see creativity around us, uh, perhaps in fashion or music or even watching uh, you know, Food Network or HGTV, there's creativity going on mostly among lost people, but yet that creativity is God's attribute that he has stamped upon man. That is his image. Knowledge, we see knowledge all around us, and that is something that we can praise God for because it points to him. Logic, how about mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, um, and we can exhibit that, and we see that exhibited around us. Um, Good communication, Uh, Books, speeches, communication that is good and true and clear. Uh, God is a communicator. That is an attribute that he has given human beings. God always speaks with truth. He always speaks with power. We can do neither fully, um, but yet we can communicate because of the image of God. Uh, Truthfulness or wisdom you know, people are capable of expressing wisdom. We see that around us, uh, hopefully in our leadership, maybe even in politics. But how often do we recognize that wisdom as uh, an image of God that is stamped upon those that have made those decisions? But each human was created with that same image and the image of God. You, do we see people that way and do we view our own identity through that lens? as people with a part of God's spirit stamped upon us. You know, in a minute we're going to talk about the image of Adam and our sin nature. And the deepness of our sin um, is, is very dark. But that does not negate the fact that we and others have the image of God stamped upon us. Even the worst sinners, even you and, and I in our worst sin have worth, have value, 
and have the dignity of being image bearers of our almighty God. But how do we treat those around us? How do we treat image bearers? Sometimes we label them as poor, unattractive, uh, unlikable, different. But do we view them as image bearers of God? Do we treat people differently who maybe we think are better than us at things? Um, We feel like we have to cut them down, right? Because we see them as humans with capabilities rather than image bearers of Christ. How do we treat others in this room, in our church? Um, Do we view them as image bearers of immense worth to God, of immense worth to each of us? How, how, How about those of the opposite gender? Sometimes we view them as merely objects of desire rather than image bearers of God. In 2016, uh, the Super Bowl, I was trying to remember who played. I can't remember. I should remember. Zach knows. I don't. I forget, like most of us, right? Super Bowl, there's a couple years I remember. But Super Bowl 2016, I do remember this. There was a Doritos commercial right, that was, uh, got a lot of publicity after the fact. But this commercial during the Super Bowl was of a mother getting, having an ultrasound, and her, her husband, or the baby's father, was sitting next to her in the, in the doctor's office room while this ultrasound was going on. But the man wasn't just sitting there, right? He was eating Doritos, right? And as he was eating these Doritos, you see the baby in the ultrasound, like following along with as the chips moved, the eyes of the baby moved. You know, he reached out like he wanted those Doritos even, even through the womb, right? Like Doritos were so desirable to him. It was a good commercial, and it got a lot of publicity, right? A lot of negative publicity because people uh, claimed that it humanized a fetus, right? As if that was a bad thing, and that is very that is very true, right? Like an ultrasound or that commercial humanizes what many would consider not to be a human. And I, I have firsthand experience with this. I, we have three kids, and they all have different, far different stories. Um, but Emra, uh, our daughter, who's seven now, uh, I don't really remember many ultrasounds. I think maybe I was there for one or two, and they're so quick, right? Like it's like, there's a heartbeat. See you later. Um, but Emra was born three months early at two, month, at two pounds. And so when we had our next child, uh, it was considered high risk. And some of you have, have gone through high risk pregnancies and you know the number of doctor's visits that you, that you go to. But there were so many ultrasounds for Larkin, right? I think every other week it felt like we were in there, we got to see Larkin. And they're not just more frequent, they're longer, right? I mean, there was one that was well over an hour where you're just sitting there and you're watching your baby and they're looking at every organ and you get to see every movement and the fingers and the toes wiggling and the heartbeat and the, you know, the different organs working and the blood flowing. You see all those things. So the difference is when, when Larkin was born, you know, I, and this is probably a little different for a dad because moms, you know, they feel the baby, right? So, but as a dad, like, I felt like I already knew her so much more, right? Because I had spent so much time looking at her through the lens of an ultrasound. And that's how God wants us to view other people, right? We just see the human form. We make judgments. We look in the mirror, 
and we make judgments. We make, uh, we view people based, and, and, we, and we give them worth based upon their talents, their jobs, their externals. And what it means to view people as image bearers is to see them through an ultrasound of spirituality, right? You are not seeing them as humans. You're spiritualizing them. And you're seeing people around you as image bearers with spirits that God has stamped his image on and that have worth. Worth that Christ died for, spirits that are in his image, spirits that are equal to yours. So I want us to be reminded of this gospel truth, first of all, this morning. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up for a couple of songs as we sing. But I want us to be reminded today about our identity in that miraculous miracle of creation. As we sing this next song, praise God that you've been stamped on your soul with the character of God. Praise him. Um, praise the name of Jesus. Right? That's what we're going to sing. It's a beautiful name that came to rescue the world. It's a name and a person that gave the worth of his life because the image of God is upon your soul. Thank you, Zach. One of the distinctives that we have here at Palmetto is uh, corporate worship, and that means we want to uh, see and hear one another and be able to worship together, and it's such a pleasure to hear um, other voices singing praise to God for victory over sin. All right, so our next gospel reminder that we want to look at is this uh, principle that our identity uh, is in Adam, that we have sinned and that we have um, fallen into the trap of sinfulness, that we are united uh, from birth into sin. And I'm going to walk down here. <laughs> Let me get my backup device. All right, so Adam's sin nature is uh, in us, and we have talked about the image of God and what that means for us, and that we are stamped with that. But that's the, an incomplete truth uh, of where we live, and so we want to look at our identity in Adam. And we continue in Genesis. Genesis 3, 2 through 7 says, And the women said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. So today, as we look at this principle, this gospel reminder of the image of Adam and its impact on all of us, uh, 
the first thing I want to see is that Adam and Eve rejected the ones whose image they bore, right? They, they, they rejected God's image, the one we just talked about, right? Uh, verse 5 says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They clearly rejected God, not only by disobedience, right? Because God told them not to eat of it, but yet she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They rejected through disobedience, but they also rejected God's character as insufficient for happiness. Um, It says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They believed that God was jealous, that he didn't love them, that he didn't want the best for them. Adam and Eve rejected the image of God. They didn't want it. But that also comes down to each one of us. We, you and I, have also rejected that image of God. God's image and Adam's sinful nature are passed to all of us, and it's a reality we all face Genesis 5.3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Romans 5.12 reminds us that, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think it's important for us, especially in preparation for communion, which we'll take in just a couple minutes, to recognize and be reminded of the sinfulness that we all have that we are all sinners. And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, Before Christ came into our lives, we were uh, identified as image bearers of sin. We had Adam's image upon us. Ephesians 2.1-3 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we, all too, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Each of us are sinners completely. Um, our souls, our hearts, our mind, our body, we come as sinners in the image of Adam, in his sinfulness. And we are enemies of Christ. Um, we, are, we are Adam. We, we have broadcasted through our sinful nature that we are an enemy of God. And that is something to really let sink in. It's not just that you are um, not on God's side. We are actively against God. We were enemies against God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. When you think of enemies in life, um, think of an enemy, hopefully you don't have any enemies currently, but someone who is doing repeative actions against you or maybe actions against someone you love. They're repeatedly targeting you and hurting you, or hurting one of your children, or hurting your spouse, and they do it over and over and over again, and yet you allow full forgiveness in that case. That is not humanly possible, to be honest, but that is what God has done for us. We have been active enemies, and we attack 
him and his image and his son every day, and yet he has reconciled to himself. He was not the offender. We were the offender. We are the offender. And yet he is the one that reconciles. He is the one that comes and forgives and gives up justice for forgiveness so that we can live in fellowship with him. I I hope that you view yourself as a sinner. I think it's something we uh, don't like to think about. But especially today, uh, I hope you view yourself in light of that, that we are fallen, that we are sinful, and that we confess sin regularly. And as we prepare for communion, uh, recognize your sin, but also rejoice in the work that Christ has done that we just sang about. Even though he was the offended one, to reconcile himself to us, through his broken body and his spilled blood. As our final uh, gospel reminder this morning, we want to end with uh, what we've been singing and how we have our identity in Christ as believers, as those who have turn from our sin, and seek to grow in the likeness of Christ. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on the things above and the fact that you've died and your life is hidden in Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 10 says, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So as we look at this passage in Romans, what does verse 3 mean when it says baptizing, um, and why does it point to our union in Christ? Well, we know in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, where uh, Christ says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If we think of baptism uh, ideally as happening uh, immediately after salvation, That's what this is talking about. This idea of baptizing in Romans is a naming ceremony, right? We are changing our name. Uh, We change our name from Adam to Christ. We change our identity from being in Adam to being in Christ. You know, Romans, as we, if you read through Romans, Romans 1 through 5 um, compares and contrasts those two families, right? It's the family of Adam and the family of Christ, and then we get to verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. We see the change from one family to the other. In verse 2 in Romans 6, it says we change from death into life. 
And uh, it's not uh, about the water. Of course, the water is symbolic. Uh, it's about immersion into that union that we have with Christ. It's that changing of our identity, that changing of our name. And verse 2 says, how can we who die to sin still live in it? We who are the people who died to sin ever dream to continue in sin. And that really should be the definition of a Christian, should it not? That we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, out of our identity in Adam and into an identity with Christ Jesus. You know, if we truly grasp the reality and the depth of our identity in Christ, we wouldn't even consider going back to our old identity. We wouldn't even consider going back to sin. You know, uh, and I'm sure many of you have known immigrants who work tirelessly to change their identity, to change their citizenship. And as we think through, I was thinking through, what if uh, in the 40s a Jew escaped Nazi Germany and the tragedy and the persecution and the war, all that went along with that, right? They escaped out of all that possibly, probably losing multiple family members, friends, and neighbors. And a couple years later, they had the opportunity to change their citizenship to an Israeli citizen. What if a year later you went to that person, you know, in 1951, and said, hey, you want to change your identity back to German? They wouldn't even consider it because they have had a name change. They have put off the old and put on a new, more glorious identity. Union with Christ is the whole person. It's our soul, it's our body, our mind. We're baptized into union with Christ, and we've changed our name to Christ. And we're alive to him and dead to sin. You know, we've talked about being created in the image of God. And now that we have union with Christ, we have the ability to be conformed to the image of his son because of that identity. Uh, The image is God's character, right? It's that same image uh, in many ways. It's his attributes. So as Christians, our pursuit after we've had that name change is to be more closely an image bearer of God. By being more holy, by being more loving, by being more righteous, by being more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many. And Ephesians 4.24 says, put on, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So we read the first uh, ten verses of Romans 6. But we see that union with Christ in verses 11 through 14. which says, uh, verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Romans is a great book of instruction from Paul, Um, but you know the first command he gives is in chapter 6, verse 11. Five whole chapters, not 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 a single command, it's just instruction. 
but he gets to verse 11, and the first command he gives is, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we conclude our service and as the worship team comes to lead us in the final verse of Living Hope, I want us to be reminded of the gospel today and celebrate that and um, praise Jesus as we depart for the fact that he created us in his image and we rejected him and instead claimed the sin of Adam. But Christ rescued us. He wants to restore us and he wants to change us into his perfect image by bringing us into union with himself. Let's sing together.